I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take new and underproduced theatre scripts and short stories and turn them into contemporary radio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. And this week, we have a bonus episode, an interview with spoken word artist and the playwright for Grade 8, Dwayne Morgan. Now, Dwayne is an accomplished and well-known spoken word artist, and we were thrilled to have an opportunity to sit down with him and talk to him about his process and the work that he has produced. Here is Laura Mullen with her interview with Dwayne Morgan. So, Dwayne, I've known you for a few years now, and I know you do a lot of different things. If you're going to speak to somebody that you've never met, what would you say that you do? Um, I mean, that's always uh, a difficult question because, you know, I wear so many different hats. But I like to, I guess, to say that I'm a a writer, a performer and a producer, Um, you know, to elaborate. I, I write, you know, primarily, you know, spoken word poetry. I get on stage and I perform. And I produce events that um, allow myself and other people the opportunity to get on stage in front of people and share what we do. And how did you get into that? How did you start to become a spoken word poet? Um, You know, this is something that I never really wanted to do. It started when I was in high school and I wrote something for a Black History Month talent show. And there were a couple of women who um, heard this poem that I wrote. And they just took a liking to to me in this poem and they encouraged me to, to continue writing. They would, um, you know, send me out to different community events um, so that I could per- perform and present this poem. And through there, it just kind of snowballed from there. You know, I got to a point where I got tired of saying this one poem that I had and I had to write a second poem. And then from writing a second poem, you know, 20 some odd years later, I'm just still here. And I also know that you're, you know, when you're one-on-one, you're kind of a quiet person, but you have this sort of larger-than-life persona by going on stage. How does that, how does that work? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting, and sometimes I ask myself about that as well because I'm, you know, an extreme introvert. I'm very, you know, shy. I don't, you know, initiate conversations with people. I'm usually, you know, typing on my phone because most people know to write me if they, you know, want to get a quick response from me. Um, and then I also know that, you know, when my name is called, I just become this other person. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting, you know, dynamic because, you know, when people see you as a performer, they think that you're on all the time and that you're just this, you know, extroverted person. But, you know, the minute I'm finished doing whatever it is I'm asked to do, I just go back into my shell and and go back into myself. And I think, you know, it's, um, it's really been a matter of understanding that when I feel the most, uh, you know, 
shy and introverted, you know, when I'm on stage, it's usually because of my ego. It's usually because I'm thinking about myself. And I've learned to take myself out of the equation a bit. And I've realized that, you know, a lot of the work that I do, a lot of the things that I write about has a great meaning to people. So now I try to focus more on the meaning that what I do has for people than myself. So I make it more about, you know, me just being a a conduit for these stories and, and ideas to be transferred to people. And I think that's really helped me a lot in terms of getting over, you know, the anxiety of, of being in the spotlight. You speak about anxiety. Do you still have fear when you go on stage? A lot of times I, I do. It really depends on the scenario that I'm in, what I'm being asked to do and um, how mentally prepared I am in terms of taking myself out of the equation and how prepared I am with the material that I'm about to, you know, share or present or whatever it is that I'm doing on stage. So, I mean, that is something that is that is constantly there. And it's it's something that, you know, I constantly, you know, battle with on a regular basis as as an artist. It's funny because a lot of people, if there's something that, that they are fearful of or gives them anxiety, they avoid it at all costs, but you make it your livelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think in 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 life, the, the beauty of everything comes when we confront our fears, when we step outside of our comfort zone, when we, you know, expand the boundaries that we thought we had for ourselves. And, and there's great, you know, personal growth that, that comes from not succumbing to the fear, but confronting it and and seeing how you can overcome it. And, you know, it's very difficult to to be a full-time artist in, in Toronto, especially, you know, as, as a poet. Um, and I think my willingness to constantly confront the fear has allowed me to have the career that I've had to this point. I know you've... Um performed in front of a lot of young people and you've worked with young people. When you talk about um, those teachers um, inspiring you to to write more, how important was that, do you think, in your development? Well, I mean, it wasn't actually, they weren't even teachers. They were just two women from the community who happened to be at, at the school. And, um, you know, they had no reason to say anything positive to me. Um, so, you know, I always look back and I reflect on the fact that here were these, you know, two women who saw something in me that I didn't see, you know, in myself. And they went out of their way to, you know, try to encourage me to to try to get me to see something that they saw that I probably didn't see. So um, I've tried to be that way with the young people that, that I work with to, you know, when I see a young person who, who has a gift, I, I let them know that I see something in them, even if they don't fully see it as yet. And it's, it's really just a matter of understanding that what has been given to me is something that is to be passed on, not just hoarded, you know, within myself. So, uh, they have been instrumental in terms of, uh, allowing me to to see that what I do has value, it has meaning, and then I had to do the work to actually recognize that within myself. And now, you know, at this point in my career, it's really a matter of passing that on to as many people as possible. When you were working with with a young person or mentoring someone, what what are some of the mistakes that you see, or what are some of the, the what are some of the advice that you would give a young person who wants to to be a spoken word artist? Well, I, I mean, I think the it's very easy to get, you know, caught up in images where you think that, oh, there's a lot of money here to be made, or, you know, there's a lot of glitz and glamour and that sort of thing. And, you know, what's important to me is to 
you know, take the accolades out of the equation, take the ego out of the equation in terms of the, oh, what am I going to get out of this? Because at the end of the day, I'm more interested in grooming young people to think, what am I going to give to this? How much of myself am I going to put into this when I no longer do this? When people look at it, what will they say my contribution to it has been? Because, you know, all of these things that we participate in have existed before us. So when we when we enter into, you know, a certain realm, we're there to contribute to it, not just to take, you know, from it. So when I'm working with young people, I really want them to focus on the process, focus on the art form um, and really develop a love and a respect for it. I love and a respect for hard work and and a love and respect for those who have come before them. Being a spoken word artist, I have to say it sounds really cool. I'm just wondering what's what's a day in the life for like for Dwayne Morgan? What what is what is the nuts and bolts of that kind of life? Um, you know, for me the the life of an artist and and with the various hats that I wear uh, it fits in line with my personality because I get bored very easily. So I have very rarely two days that look alike. So it's, it's usually I'm up very early in the morning. Um, a lot of emails to, to respond to, um, you know, a lot of social media stuff to, to, um, take care of, to make sure that I'm constantly, you know, putting things out there so that people know that I'm, I'm active, I'm doing things and, um, you know, phone calls to return, uh, performances to do workshops, to teach speaking engagements, to give, um, so, I mean, a mix of those things are, are pretty much in, in all of my days. Because a lot of writers spend spend their time sitting and writing, but because you are also a performer, I wonder, how do you find the time or the mental space to, to focus on your writing? Uh, writing is the hard part now because it's probably the thing that I have the least amount of time to do. Um, you know, when I travel... Uh, I do a lot of writing, you know, when I'm away because I don't have as many distractions as I might have now. And I, I write so much stuff that usually when I come back, people think that I'm creating stuff, but I'm just really, you know, using stuff that they just haven't heard before that, you know, I wrote, you know, six, seven months ago. Um, so it's not something where I don't have a daily routine where I write, you know, for me, I, I write when the story is there, when I can see the start and the finish of an idea and then for me, it's really just a matter of figuring out what are the words that I have to use in order to tell this story so that someone else can see what's in my head. If that story isn't there, then I don't even try to write. I'm, I'm just so busy doing other things that I wait until the story comes and then I try to create it. So if you don't discover the beginning and the end during the writing, it just comes to you when you're doing other things. You can see the end. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes, you know, you're... I'm listening to a song. Oftentimes I see something when I'm driving or walking down the street. So I'm, I'm constantly looking for the poem in everyday life. And you just never know what odd thing might, you know, trigger a certain thought. So sometimes I have bits and pieces there, but it's still not enough to kind of create or start creating the whole story yet. And I just kind of wait until something, you know, inspires, inspires me and fills in those, those blanks. And then I can actually create the piece. So when I actually do create um, a piece of work, it usually doesn't take me that long to actually write it because I see the whole thing in my head and it's usually been in my head for a while, um, just waiting for all the pieces to, to fall into place. 
in theater, we, we often work with a dramaturg or we share our work, or do, do a reading of it. There's a lot of people involved usually at a certain stage with a play. I'm wondering if it's the same for you. Do people hear your work before anyone else has, has seen it or given feedback? Um, yes and no. I mean, in a typical situation, it would be uh, no. Um, when I work with mentor and coach um, poets to compete in the national um, poetry competition that we have. Um, In that sense, yes. Then I always bring in other people who are going to critique everything about, you know, the performance from how you stand on stage, how you walk on stage, how you begin the poem. Uh, Like the whole thing is ripped apart until you get something that is extremely solid. Um, you know, with my piece, Grade 8, uh, that was another piece that I put in front of people and had them, you know, poke as many holes in it as they could, uh, forcing me to to go back in and try to tighten it and make it um, as powerful as it could possibly be. So, um, you know, typically with my spoken word stuff, no, but in certain situations, then I do bring in that element because I think it is ultimately important. I'm going to ask you about grade eight in a minute, but one thing I just want to know, because you're, I think, the only person I know who has a star on the Scarborough Walk of Fame. Can you tell me what that was like for you? Um, I mean, that was a, a very surreal um, day, you know, when um, we had the official, you know, ceremony and, and unveiling of the star. Uh, you know, I thought it was a practical joke when I got the email saying, you know, that this is going to happen because the email wasn't signed by anyone. It was just this random email. We've been no. spammed. Yeah. So I was just like, <laughs> oh, okay, sure. All right. We'll see about this. And, um, you know, it ended up being legit. There's, you know, a star in the Scarborough Town Center with my name on it. And um, it's really just a reminder that, you know, the work that I've been doing means something to people that people, you know, take notice of it. And, you know, I'm a bit different as an artist because I've a big part of my career has been creating platforms for other people, not just focusing on, you know, what it is that I want to do as an artist. And I think, you know, sometimes you feel as though uh, people take you for granted. You feel as though people don't appreciate the things that you do. And it was, it was really a moment where I realized that the work is appreciated, that people take notice, even when I don't see it, feel it, um, it happens. And there are people who notice. Has your daughter seen the star? Uh, yeah, she's uh, seen the star. She was there at the uh, official unveiling. Uh, every time we go to the mall, we always make a little pilgrimage uh, to the star. I know she's uh, been at the mall with, you know, her cousins and, you know, they've taken selfies at the star. So, um, you know, I mean, I don't think she totally understands all of the things that I've done to actually get or earn the star. Uh, but it's something that, you know, she knows is there. And as, as she gets older and understands more, I think she'll be able to appreciate what it is a lot more. What does your daughter think of you being in the public eye? Is she, is she aware of it? Uh, you know, she's aware of it. And I mean, she's been around it her entire life. I've always, you know, brought her to, to things with me. Her mother's a dancer. So she's always been around, you know, the arts and, and performance spaces. And, um, you know, she... She's cool with it, you know, she, you know, every now and then she's like, you know, she's a bit of a hater, so she doesn't want to, you know, uh, you know, acknowledge, you know, certain things. She doesn't always like, you know, when we're out and people might come up to me and that sort of thing. But, you know, that's understandable. But she's her own uh, little performer as well. She has her own little, you know, personality. And, um, you know, she's she's great. I think she's, uh, you know, she 
there are elements of it that she likes and and i can see her life kind of going in in those directions so um you know we'll see how it goes i mean she's only nine now so i mean as she gets older i'm sure that'll all change a, a bit as well is your daughter the inspiration for grade eight yeah my daughter is the inspiration for grade eight the the piece was written um you know the year that she was born and it was written, you know, I say in the piece that there's no manual for becoming a parent. And, you know, anyone who's a parent knows that you just kind of you have no idea what's going to expect. You have no idea who this person is that's going to be coming out, their personality, if they're going to be healthy, all of these things. And, you know, as a father, you kind of sit on the sidelines because, you know, the mother is going through all of these changes and she has a much different uh, connection with the child before the child even comes out and you just, you know, you you live vicariously through whatever she tells you or, you know, that sort of thing. And um, so you, there's a lot of time when you really think about what this could be, what could happen, how's my life going to change? And those thoughts are what led me to, to writing grade eight and saying, hey, okay, if I have to raise this child, if I have this girl, what happens if I have to raise her on my own? How is that going to look? And and just really, you know, instead of just overthinking, just taking that thinking and, and doing something creative with it. And how have you found fatherhood to be since you wrote it when she was just born and now she's nine? Is the journey what you expected? Uh, I mean, fatherhood has been great. You know, it's, it was something that I've always been looking forward to. And, um, you know, I think it happened at a time when I was ready for for it to happen. And, you know, it's been she's a, a great kid. Um, you know, you're always going to have your, your ups and downs and your and your learnings because, you know, again, you have no practice in, in being a parent. And this little person is trying to assert their will and, and you know, figure out the world. And it's your job to kind of, you know, shape things a little bit for them. So, you know, there's there's. There's a learning curve that's there, uh, but I mean, it's been a, a great joy. I've loved every minute of it, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, as she gets older, as her personality develops more, um, what new adventures we get into and, and what other stories I might have to share. How did you write it if, as a spoken word artist? How did you um, combine the play aspects with the spoken word pieces? Did you find that a challenge? Well, I mean, I had never written anything play like before this. So there were some pieces that, you know, as I thought of what I wanted to say in this piece, there were some poems that I had that I I thought, OK, these can, you know, fit automatically into, you know, this thing. And then, you know, as I started to write the pieces around the poems, I got to a point where I didn't have poems that could fit in. Then I had to write poems to fit into the play. So it was a bit of, of both, really, where, you know, when I first started, all I had was a few poems that I thought would fit the story, but then got to a point where I needed to fit some poems back into into the piece. I like to talk about some of the themes that you bring up. Um, was there anything in particular you wanted to say with this piece? Um, you know, I, I wanted to to just really have an an honest look at parenting, um, some of the pitfalls, some of the joys, um, and really some of the the internal dialogue that oftentimes you know nobody speaks about. Um, so that was really important. And then, you know, having a, a daughter, I really wanted to, you know, have it very 
female positive, especially coming from a male writer and performer. Um, and I thought that, that that was also very important to me. So I think those were the two main things I wanted to get across. And then, you know, in that, I didn't want it to be too serious. I wanted to, I wanted it to have levels in terms of the emotions. So parts, you know, where it's sad, parts where people can laugh, but overall, you know, something that people could really connect to whether they're parents or not. When I, when I read it, I, because I knew you had a daughter, but I wasn't sure how old she was. I just assumed your daughter had gone through grade eight already. Mm-hmm. So I was surprised that she was just a baby when you wrote it. Mm-hmm. And there are scenes like shopping for a training bra. And I just thought, how does Dwayne, how does he know? How, how did you write those things? What did you draw on? Um, for, you know, for stuff like that, it was, you know, personal experience with, you know, young people that I have worked with. It was just asking people, you know, about, you know, these situations and, and how they felt and how it went. And and a big part of it was just imagination and just trying to project and put myself into that situation, knowing my personality, how I thought that it might go, um, you know, if I was in certain situations. And I think, you know, the mix of those things allowed me to to create stuff that was rather realistic in terms of um, what that experience could be like. And even in, you know, speaking with audience members afterwards, a lot of them really point to, you know, those those moments and say, yeah, I, I definitely remember going through, you know, this moment and that moment. And, you know, that's always, uh, you know, a special thing when you when you create something, but then see that, you know, other people can see themselves in it. I liked how you brought in um, female self-esteem, girl self-esteem, and I imagine it'd be a very different play if it was if you had if it was about a boy, if you'd had a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something as a father that you think about for your daughter, mm-hmm. her value of herself? Um, you know, I, it's definitely something that I think about for her. Um, you know, again, with the work that I do with young people, I I understand the role that boys and men play in the way girls often see themselves and feel about themselves. Uh, So again, coming from a male perspective, I think it's really important uh, to be affirming to to girls and women because they hear it and experience it very differently. Uh, You know, when girls get together, they tell each other, oh yeah, you're beautiful, you're cute or whatever. But then a boy comes and says you're beautiful and it means something completely different. So um, understanding how those dynamics work, I think it was really important um, for me to, to infuse those elements into the piece. And I know, you know, with all of the challenges that are out there now with social media and all of these things, it's, it's, Part of my current work with my daughter just to, you know, try to make sure that she constantly has a positive image of herself. How do you do that as a dad? Um, well, I mean, I think it's it's affirming all of the, the good things about her. I mean, we spend so much time, you know, telling kids what not to do, telling them, you know, what they do wrong. Uh, oftentimes we don't spend the same amount of energy telling them what they do right and telling them what's good about them. So, you know, I tell her all the time what's good about her. I affirm, you know, my feelings for her. She's very active. You know, she does dance and gymnastics and all of these things. So, you know, she has her own accolades that aren't tied to, oh, you're Dwayne's daughter. But, you know, she has her own 
stuff and and it's really making a big deal out of those things so that she's always being celebrated and always feeling good about herself and yes there's obviously going to be times when you have to tell her no or you can't do this or this is why you can't do certain things but I think it's really that balance of making sure that the positive is also there because oftentimes we just get so consumed and don't even realize how much negative things we're saying to our children um when, you know, if we flip that around and at least create some balance, it completely changes how they see themselves. And you touched a little bit in the play about sort of raising a a, a daughter in this time and age with um, sexting and, and social media and all that stuff. Um, it, how do you find that as a dad, especially now that you have a daughter who is like in that preteen age? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, she has an iPod now. So, I mean, it's it's really have to monitor the things that she's, you know, doing on there and the interactions that she's having with people. I think, you know, the world is very different from the world that I grew up in. But again, you know, one of the benefits for me is that I do so much work in schools with young people that um, I get a glimpse of what's going on. And because I come in and I'm very, you know, easygoing, I'm not a teacher, I don't come in and be like, hey, I'm the authority figure. The kids are very comfortable with me and that allows me um, to see more than maybe some of their teachers will see. So I think, you know, a lot of their teachers might be quite naive to what is actually happening in their classrooms, uh, whereas kids will openly share with me the realities of what is going on in their lives. And that really helps me a lot because, Knowing what's happening with the high school kids lets me know, okay, what I have to do to to buffer her, you know, even though she's nowhere close to there yet. But that stuff usually just gets younger and younger and younger. And, um, you know, that kind of knowledge is is always good to have. One of the things I really liked about grade eight is um, that it's from a, a dad's point of view. And I think we often hear the mom's point of view. Um and you touch on what dads are missing when they choose not to be or can't be in their, their child's lives. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want to talk a bit about adding that in the play? Yeah, I think that piece was also, you know, very important because, you know, I know personally, and I mean, I know a million stories of fathers who are not active in the the lives of their children. And, you know, I would never want to to put it out there that parenting is easy. I mean, it's probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever done. Um, but the rewards and the joy that has come from it way, you know, outweighs, you know, the, the stress. And I just feel um, saddened for those people who are living their lives not knowing the joy that they're missing out on because they are not in the lives of, of their children. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a, a very sad uh, reality. And, um, you know, I think if more men see or hear the piece um, and can intellectually or emotionally get to a point where they realize I might be missing out on something, I think they might also find the joy that I speak about. I think one of the most um, poignant moments in the play is when the char- your character's um, sister's uh, daughter is, is sitting on the steps waiting for her dad to come pick her up, mm-hmm. and he never shows up. Mm-hmm. Why did you add that to the piece? Well, I think I also you know, know a lot of women who've grown up experiencing that, um, that disappointment, uh, you know, promises being made, and you, you know, you plan your whole week around this promise and then the disappointment of it never actually happening. And then when you 
when you grow up like that, it it taints you and it changes you and it affects your interactions with men and your expectations and, and all of these things. And because I know so many women who have grown up with that experience, I thought it was necessary to really put it in. Um, and, you know, it's always a, a, a piece in the in the play where, you know, people feel that point. They feel her hurt and her disappointment. And um, it's it's really, I guess, just a, a part of one of the dips in the roller coaster of, of the piece in terms of, you know, making people, wanting people to feel something. And, and it's it's one of the stories that I tell to try to bring out those emotions. And I've heard you say that um, that you see yourself doing another piece that's a follow-up piece that that um, has her at her wedding day. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about your your next vision? Yeah. So the um, in my head, the um, the follow-up to this, and I mean it's been in my head for several years now, is um, called her wedding day, and it looks at the things that have happened through you know high school, college, university, and now to to her getting married. And, um, you know, there's that's such a, a rich part of life that there's, you know, so many things and stories to, to be able to to pull from. Um, so I'm 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 excited to start, you know, trying to, to piece that together. I already have, you know, a lot of notes on it. I already know how it would be performed. I mean, I already see these things, you know, in my head. Um, so it's it's really just a matter of. Um, yeah, finding the time to, to really start to focus on it and, um, yeah, trying to create it and tell that story. How do you think that story will be different? Um, I think the story is going to be very different. I mean, there are some elements that I can't give away just yet, but I mean, I think, you know, in, in grade eight, you know, there's me recognizing, you know, the need to find love. So I think I want to explore um, what is it like for the father trying to date now, you know, in this situation? So there's going to be elements of that. There's going to be, you know, her maturing and and the independence and, and the fight to let go. I mean, in a situation like this, where it's just you and her because her mother has passed away, the letting go part is going to be a lot more difficult um, for both of them in, in different ways. So really, you know, looking at, you know, that struggle, you know, for independence and, and to let go, um, her loving, you know, someone else, you've always been her greatest love for her, her entire life. But now, you know, she loves someone else. Now she wants to start a life with someone else, but you've been her life. Um, so, you know, there, there are all of these really poignant moments that I think I, I really want to, to play around with and explore. Um, and, you know, just kind of see what happens. I think I'll take the same approach as I did with grade eight. I mean, I'll I'll write about a million things and then I'll workshop it and have people say, all right, these are the really strong elements. And then, you know, we'll just shape it down into into something and, and see see what happens. And there'll be another opportunity to see grade eight this summer. Uh, yeah. So uh, in June, I will be off to the Ottawa Fringe Festival. I will be doing it uh, there. And then there's a possibility um, that it might be at a theater in Rochester, New York. If that doesn't pan out, then Ottawa will be the end of the road and um, I will get to working on the next piece. Thank you so much. It's been great speaking to you, Dwayne. No, no problem. Thanks for having me. That was spoken word artist and playwright Dwayne Morgan. 
be sure to tune in next week where we feature the first episode of the next play in the Play Me series. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our podcast, to leave a comment, or to let us know what you think of our shows. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Rashanik Jaberi. Play Me is funded by the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Ontario Trillium Foundation. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, the Toronto Fringe Festival, and the Spiderweb Show. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.